occupational justice too, I think is a part of our work and what we need to really tune into. Do all children and youth with disabilities and or mental health challenges have opportunities to participate in a range of occupations that promote health or that they're interested in. Um, youth with disabilities may not have those same opportunities and we can help kind of fight that fight or ensure that there's occupational justice. Our guest today is Dr. Susan Basic, Professor Emerita of Cleveland State University. She taught occupational therapy students for 34 years in areas of mental health promotion, school-based practice, and occupation-based practice. She has been a leader in building capacity of OT practitioners and interdisciplinary professionals in promoting positive mental health in youth with and without disabilities and mental health challenges nationwide. After she authored her famous book, Mental Health Promotion, Prevention and Intervention with Children and Youth, a Guiding Framework for Occupational Therapy in 2011, Dr. Basic continued her commitment by taking that information and translating it into action through her Every Moment Counts initiative. Dr. Basic has authored over 30 journal articles and several book chapters in leading OT textbooks. Since 2010, she has given over 100 state, national, and international level presentations. She has been endowed with several awards, including the 2018 Award for Innovative and Emerging Practice from the American Occupational Therapy Association. In January 2020, she served as a Fulbright Specialist in New Zealand, presenting on Every Moment Counts throughout the country. Welcome to Inclusive Occupations, sharing stories of not just being invited to the party, but dancing. I'm your host, Savita Sundar. I'm a school-based occupational therapist. This podcast is a space for OTs and others who work with children and youth in education to be informed, inspired, and empowered to create an inclusive community for the students they serve. Dr. Basic, welcome to Inclusive Occupations. I'm truly honored to have you as the first guest of the season. Um, you know, I have gotten to know you more personally in the recent past, maybe a year by now. Mm -hmm. um, and every encounter I've had with you, I always walk away with such a wealth of, of knowledge and inspiration. And I have come to admire you for so many things and most importantly your commitment and the efforts you are taking in bringing research to practice to empower us OTs and others who work in education to be change leaders in our communities. Mm -hmm. Now recent studies show that several school-based OT practitioners do feel that service delivery in a natural context is best practice and they also desire to expand their scope beyond traditional roles, mm -hmm. but lack the procedural knowledge to do so. There is a disconnect between intention and action. So now every moment counts is like a solution to this problem. Basically saying 
yes, here's what else OTs can do in schools outside the traditional motor box. And this is how. Tell us about Every Moment Counts initiative. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's really an honor and pleasure to be here and share about Every Moment Counts and, and, and discuss it in light of the importance of inclusion. So I'm, I'm really pleased to be here. And I will start out saying that Every Moment Counts, um, it was envisioned by myself and 14 other occupational therapy practitioners in, in 2011. And really what gives me great joy, and I think what makes this um, such a rich initiative is that it's, it's not only grounded in research, but it's grounded in the tacit knowledge and experience of practitioners in the field. And I think that relationship is really critical in creating programs and strategies that therapists can actually implement and use and um, you know, use the examples. So after the book that I edited came out in 2011, that was entitled Mental Health Promotion, Prevention and Intervention for Children and Youth, a Guiding Framework mm-hmm. in Occupational Therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I brought these therapists together because I knew that people weren't just going to buy the book, read it, and then do it that I envisioned this building capacity process where we would work together, they would read the book, and we would discuss application over time. And so, um, you know, that's where the richness in, in what we envisioned came, came together. They learned about this tiered approach to mental health, that it's not just intervention for those who are struggling, but it's promoting mm-hmm. positive mental health in all children and youth and those at risk. And children with disabilities are at higher risk of developing mental health challenges. So that's Mm -hmm. the other thing that occupational therapy practitioners must keep in mind that, you know, all OTs working with kids with disabilities, these children and youth are at higher risk because just not just just because of the comorbid um, incidence um, Mm -hmm. of a mental health diagnosis, but the chronic stress that's sometimes experienced by youth with disabilities who are really trying to make it every single day in a complex school environment, right? Absolutely. So, um, you know, when you, one, when you one, say that, mm-hmm. yes, when, you, when, you, when you were saying about um, the amount of stress that children with disabilities mm-hmm. go through, when you say that, it just seems so intuitive, right? They have to mm-hmm. fit into this very challenging um world uh, not ideally created for them and Mm -hmm. we often don't give it the attention that we ought to be giving and and as you speak it right now I'm just visualizing Mm -hmm. all the students that I work with they all definitely have a level of stress much higher than their peers Mm -hmm. yes and children Mm -hmm. without disabilities too may struggle but we we do know children with disabilities they're not only physically maybe having to work harder to get around or Mm -hmm. have to write you know handwriting um but they they have to work harder at if there's a learning disability at reading at completing their academic work if there's adhd they have to spend a lot more time trying to pay attention 
And so, you know, the chronic stress for some youth really can, can lead to anxiety. And we do know, for example, youth um, autistic individuals, if they're in an environment that's not sensory friendly, Mm -hmm. um, there's going to be anxiety. They're not going to feel good. So, um, so back to the therapist, then we really drilled home this concept, you know, being top down, being occupation based within our scope of practice, which is broad, you know, play, Mm -hmm. leisure, um, meal times. And I asked them the question, I said, what do you think now knowing what you know, what should OT practice in the schools look like? And we spent three hours envisioning what we felt was needed. And, and it, it ended up being Every Moment Counts and all of our initiatives, and then we were funded. So it really was kind of a magical um, process for us that mm-hmm. we were funded for a, a very large amount, 720000 And then mm-hmm. over three years, it was that team of 14, and then we kept adding on more change leaders that we developed the programs, we implemented them and evaluated them. Mm-hmm. So um, I have very fond um, feelings about um, how we, we started this initiative. And even though I'm the lead person, um, it really is an, an initiative that was developed at a grassroots level. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it, it really sounds like a very enriching experience going through that whole planning mm-hmm. and like we want to make changes mm-hmm. and we're all going to sit together and put put mm-hmm. that into actionable items right and do it and that's exactly what you've done and you continue to do so yeah. um i have been fortunate enough to be part of the building capacity mm-hmm. um group with uh, lauren Th- thomas and um learned a lot, learned a lot. And the, the richness of the program, the website, and all this wealth of information available for us for free is something mm-hmm. that everybody, every OT should, and every OT working in schools for sure should know about. Right, so, right. Yeah. So now Every Moment Counts initiatives promotes inclusion for students with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about how that lines up, inclusion and what Every Moment Counts does? Right. Well, when we were funded, and it was through the Office of Exceptional Children, so our special ed department within our Ohio Department of Ed, they said, we really want you to hit home and really promote LRE, Least Restrictive Environment, and inclusion. So that we, we were pushed in that direction Um, And so we developed our initiatives, which I will eventually talk about the comfortable cafeteria, our recess program and leisure initiative. But therapists that were working with me said, if therapists are pulling kids out and -hmm. not integrating services in the natural environment throughout the day, we're we're not going to be able to do this work. So that ended up being another focus of our work. So getting back to inclusion, I think um, the law really supports doing work in the LRE, the natural context. Mm -hmm. But that could either look 
that could either, you know, look really positive or negative, depending on how the therapist is doing that. Um, so, you know, we know that when we're integrating our services, we're reaching children not on our caseload. And that's where I think we can influence students without disabilities and actually help them um, learn how to respect differences, include others. And so some of our colleagues as a part of Every Moment Counts have done best buddies programs or something mm -hmm. similar. And so we're working as much with the kids without disabilities in many ways as though as we are with those with disabilities. So I don't know if that helps, but yes, the yes. other thing is all of our initiatives really are focusing heavily on universal um, services mm -hmm. and targeted services. So although we are addressing the needs of students with disabilities, we're, we're really serving a lot more students so absolutely absolutely i mean i i <laughs> i've heard we've all heard the term push in and pull out right push in mm -hmm. services or collaborative services but i think integrated services is a different level and and probably the best level of service delivery for our students mm -hmm. because when we are part of the planning process of the education mm -hmm. we are just tapping into those needs on a on mm -hmm. a on a on a bigger broader level and therefore impacting every student including the students that we typically get for referred for services mm -hmm. so yeah mm -hmm. totally totally and and dr basic i just wanted to share that i feel we as ot's in schools you know given mm -hmm. how things are right now um studies still show that the majority of us are doing pull-out kind of services mm -hmm. and uh, we are constantly being referred for fine motor handwriting challenges mm -hmm. and these are things mm -hmm. that don't just go away with OT intervention mm -hmm. right it, mm -hmm. and, and how many schools actually prioritize giving formal handwriting instruction how many schools mm -hmm. actually prioritize teaching kids to you know, giving them the practice to mm -hmm. do handwriting. And, and times are changing very rapidly and there are much pressing needs and, and mental health is one of the most important areas that is impacting our students in this time and age. So we as OTs with our broad knowledge base, I think are ideally suited to enhance to support inclusion in schools. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with me on that? Oh, definitely. Um, I, I think because we're such great observers and, you know, when we're working and maybe focusing on disabilities, I think, you know, we, we like to use the phrase, um, when we integrate our services, we maximize the impact of, our, of OT because we can tune into kids who are not on our caseload who may need some supports and, yes. and mm -hmm. embed those strategies in the classroom. We know from research that all kids can benefit from our services. Yes. Um, yes. And when we integrate them, then you know, uh, more can benefit, so definitely. Mm -hmm. And actually I know mm -hmm. OTs now within an RTI model who are 
asking teachers, what are your needs due to COVID and kids re-entering schools and teachers are really struggling and um, they're, they're giving teachers time through co-teaching. They're going into classes and, and helping teachers, um, you know, co-teaching or teaching a unit to help them out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's the way to go. You know, that's the way mm-hmm. to be, we should mm-hmm. be providing our services. Um, mm-hmm. Now knowing all that we know. So, so coming back to mental health. So traditionally, mental health OT is viewed as services provided to people with identified mental illness in behavioral health settings, right? Tell mm-hmm. me about how you've been able to build capacity for OT practitioners to address mental health in school settings? Oh, I I say, you know, we've been very successful by educating OTs about this tiered framework to mental health. You know, what is mental health promotion? And that's Mm -hmm. a lot based on teaching, you know, helping kids learn how to be mentally healthy. Every single child needs that. And then Mm -hmm. tuning into those at risk and then embedding strategies that will help Um, diminish some of the early signs, whether it's anxiety or depression, as well as promote positive mental health. But this is a um, kind of a ongoing challenge that I think we, we really know from therapists that they might learn about how to address mental health in their entry level education. But a lot of entry-level programs focus heavily on working with adults with mental health challenges in acute care or behavioral health settings. Mm-hmm. And OTs don't always know how to translate that knowledge to a school setting. It's different. right? So I would say it's ongoing and we have to keep educating therapists that addressing mental health is not just tier three, mm-hmm. <laughs> working with people with mental illness. It's learning, it's, it's really developing a, a, another skill set of, of how to promote positive mental health, which is we need to know what the research in positive psychology. And then again, how to embed strategies to prevent mental health challenges. I think what we've seen is one, we spend time educating therapists about this tiered framework over time they get it and their, their practice in schools changes a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had therapists tell me that their caseloads even change, that teachers and others are going to them asking them for help when a student is struggling emotionally. Mm-hmm. So our research, and it was published in the 2015 Age article of our building capacity process, similar to what you're going through with Lauren Thompson, Thomas, Mm -hmm. that it was, it's effective, statistically significant changes in survey findings, pre and post of knowledge, beliefs, and actions related to addressing mental health. And uh, the qualitative data showed that therapists really started reframing their view of mental health as a positive state of functioning, and became more empowered to address to promote positive mental health, as well as advocate for our role in schools. Mm -hmm. So I think um, a one day workshop can get things going, but I really think that therapists need to 
um, kind of take in the information over time and strategically plan changes in practice. So I think that's key. Very, very true. Very true. I mean, if if we all, we we know all the, you know, knowledge that is out there, mm -hmm. putting it mm -hmm. into action is a different story altogether. Mm -hmm. We need more than a workshop, like you said. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So Dr. Dasik, um, I know that um, Every Moment Counts has several initiatives, right? Um, mm -hmm. All promoting participation and mental health throughout the day in multiple contexts. Can you give a brief summary of those initiatives? Yeah, thank you. That's, I would love to. Mm -hmm. So a lot of OTs also, I think, tend to think that being educationally relevant in schools based on the law means a that we need to just be focusing on academic services, you know, what's going on in the classroom. Mm -hmm. But the law does not, the law doesn't state what areas of function we have to address. It doesn't, you know, it's up to us according to our scope of practice. Mm -hmm. And so we really, because our scope of practice includes mealtimes and eating and social participation and play and recess, we decided to develop some programs that would address participation during those times of the day. So the comfortable cafeteria and refreshing recess we call sister programs. The purpose of these one day a week for six week programs is to really build capacity of the supervisors to be effective in promoting pro-social behavior, but also helping students develop pro-social skills, the soft soft skills that are important in life that aren't always easy to practice when you're in the classroom, but you can, you know, really foster practicing and developing those skills during lunch and recess, such as how to be a good friend, mm -hmm. having a mealtime conversation, uh, respecting differences in, in including others. That's a theme for both programs. And this is what I think aligns really nicely with the focus on inclusion. Yes. You know, yes, we I need to it's teach. Great, mm -hmm. It's a great space to explicitly talk about these things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I just feel that like even bully prevention, I, I think bully prevention is okay. It's good. But if we don't teach children and youth what we want them to, how we want them to be, mm -hmm. you know, if we don't teach them how to be a good friend, then you know, if, if, if they learn those skills, we might have less need for bully prevention. And the same, um, so our friend, you know, teaching kids how to be a good friend, really then you can have and try and foster um, friendships between children with different abilities mm -hmm. or who may struggle to fit in if they're even, for example, an introvert. So um, I just feel very strongly that planting the, that seed in children's minds during lunch and recess um, can be done by adults who are tuned into that. And even yes. one of the weeks for the cafeteria program is what are the sensations in the cafeteria and helping kids talk about how we're all unique sensory beings. And mm -hmm. some of us are fine with really noisy cafeterias. Others don't like that. And it makes, makes them make, feel upset inside. Mm -hmm. So um, 
they're wonderful programs that I think OTs are really skilled in implementing, although we can implement them with teachers or counselors or um, speech pathologists. Mm -hmm. But we really know how to analyze the environment. And so it makes and, and foster social participation. <clears throat> so it makes us really good um, professionals to be able to take a lead maybe in implementing those. Yes. And yes. then and, and the other, oh, go on. No, I just to want ask. to tell our audience, our listeners, that all that you're talking about is there in the Every Moment Counts website as printable, mm -hmm. actionable steps, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's all there. So if if anyone feels inspired about what you're hearing, just go online to Every Moment Counts, click on initiatives, and then there the program is, the cafeteria program that you're talking right. about and all the other um, yeah, all, all the right. other programs. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. So the cafeteria and recess programs, if you look at those sections of the website, it's almost like having a manual, as you said, for mm -hmm. implementation. All the materials are there, bookmarks and posters. And we have a lesson plan for each week. And um, so those two are, are just near and dear to my heart because we have seen through implementation that um, the programs bring a lot of joy to children. They're happy during lunch, they're happy during recess. And it's really helping supervisors, again, be effective. Mm -hmm. The other two big initiatives, the Calm Moments cards, um, these are 17, they're really eight and a half by 11 cards. The purpose is to help frontline personnel and therapists recognize signs of stress and embed evidence-based strategies for reducing stress and enhancing emotional well-being. So the um, materials on the cards um, share thinking strategies, which are cognitive behavioral strategies. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them uh, involve positive affirmations. And there is, there, are, there is research on the use of positive affirmations and repeating those mm -hmm. as a way to change how we think and change how we feel. Mm -hmm. uh, the cards also include mindfulness strategies and deep breathing and yoga poses, and then also sensory strategies. Mm -hmm. So these can be embedded throughout the day. Yeah, I just wanted to share a couple of cool ideas that I took home from that is when kids are standing in the hallway and feeling restless and, and as they're getting prepared to go into like coming back from recess and getting back into mm -hmm. classrooms, just having them do a mindful moment right there, mm -hmm. you know, maybe mm -hmm. doing the tree pose while they are standing right. in a line waiting. So they completely get grounded at that moment, become mindful, mm -hmm. get centered and then the impact that that small little action would have on their participation following standing right. in line when they enter the classroom is huge, right? Such simple, actionable ideas, yet so powerful, so effective, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, mean, I do think... one of the many ideas, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think therapists just need to tune into what's happening throughout the day. And if teachers are frustrated, you know, right after recess and have a difficult time calming the students down, then like you said, doing one short activity or helping the teachers learn how to do a short activity a one or two minutes can mm -hmm. make a big difference 
So um, those are very user friendly. And then the other initiative is Making Leisure Matter, which uh, is near and dear to my heart too, because I do feel that leisure is a forgotten occupation a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And if you look on our website, I even have information about IDEA, the law, and what it says about extracurricular support. So students with disabilities, if they need support or accommodations to participate during recess or after mm-hmm. school extracurriculars, it should be provided by law. <laughs> and yes. so I think we need mm-hmm. to make it our business. Hmm. Absolutely. It is our business as OTs, right? It's yeah. one of the major occupations of life, leisure. And, but it uh, tends to be forgotten. And so mm-hmm. even at minimum to ask every child that you work with on your caseload, what do you do for fun after school and on weekends is really critical. Mm-hmm. So the way we've addressed um, leisure is really in a tiered um, way. And that, you know, there's handouts on this. So really looking at what's going on at the universal level in the school related to uh, leisure participation during recess, for example, again, Mm -hmm. um, at the targeted level, students who struggle or don't have uh, any leisure and and the kids at risk are, are children with disabilities as well as those who live in poverty. So they tend to have less access. So we can do small leisure groups either during recess or after school. And there's examples there. I mean, um, there's a lot of support for even using activity-based groups as being highly effective to foster social skills. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that makes us distinctly qualified, I think, is our knowledge of running groups yes in fact i'm going to be doing this monster the worry monster activity mm-hmm. with a bunch of kids in the cafeteria next uh, right after the break so great i'm quite excited about it making building with the kids together and then they can use it as a mental health strategy mm-hmm. you know, leaving your worries behind into the mo- put it into the monster come inside the right. cafeteria and relax (laughs) yeah yeah that's a great idea Mm -hmm. great yeah Yeah. and so the other thing we do with making leisure matter is really looking at like if a child has no leisure then doing individual individual leisure coaching which can be embedded in your therapy Mm -hmm. um, or can be done after school if you're an outpatient therapist Um, but we have a six-phase process of really exploring possible interests. A lot of times children don't know what their interests are if they haven't been exposed to a variety of activities. True, yeah, and it is truly co-occupation, right? A lot of times Mm -hmm. our our children Mm -hmm. with disabilities, they have such limited abilities to, um, those executive functioning skills are lacking and often they enjoy the activity but don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why when they do it together with a bunch of kids who can do it, they enjoy the right. process. Maybe even just contributing a little bit to it becomes theirs. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So those are the major initiatives. And again, like you said, all the information um, 
um, these initiatives is on the website, along with video vignettes of therapists talking about um, case examples or what they're doing. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's a wealth of resources out there. Um, Dr. Basic, so OT's role in special education has evolved, right, since it was first mm-hmm. authorized in 1975, which was later uh, renamed as IDEA. Tell us about how you have seen, you know, you've been in the field forever, like 35 years you have practiced before you retired. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us about how you have seen OT services change since 1975 based uh, mm-hmm. on reauthorizations and research. Well, in, in 1975, um, you know, everything was new to OTs in terms of the law and like how to even write IEPs and measurable goals. And we really went from a clinic model into the schools and many OTs still functioned kind of like within a clinic model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think over the years, um, we've, we've, it's been drilled into us that we need to be educationally relevant. Um, and so we, we really started out with a heavy caseload model and we have changed. We're still some therapists are still battling that, but a lot has changed um, regarding what we do, who we serve, and where. So, for example, the reauthorization of IDEA in 1997 really placed greater emphasis on integrating services in the, in the LRE, the natural environment, and knowing the curriculum, knowing the school context. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, there was greater emphasis on behavior, PBIS. And so um, as we keep moving along, we, in addition to knowing things within our profession, like sensory processing, writing, we have to know these school-wide models such as PBIS and SEL, and both of those frameworks um, started being developed in the 1990s and I would say they're very well established in schools now so every OT really needs to know know Mm -hmm. about those. Mm -hmm. Um, We know from research in motor control and motor learning that learning occurs best in the real environment doing real things so that's another kind of um, you know nudge for us not to pull kids out. We, yeah, should we be cannot be pulling skills. them out and working on stringing beads and using tweezers right. and expect them to right. somehow magically start writing right. better. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that was another big, you know, I think in the 90s to early 2000s, you know, motor learning and motor control really emphasized that. And then around 2000, more and more emphasis on tiered approaches to service provision through RTI. And in order to do that, more and more emphasis on a workload model, which I I still think is a challenge for some. For some Mm -hmm. therapists who are really within a workload model, they're doing so much integrated services during lunch and recess throughout the day. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's those that are on a caseload model that maybe doesn't have a cap or is too high 
or they're serving so many schools, I think it's really difficult for them to shift to that workload model. That's one, one example. Mm-hmm. So I think um, it's exciting to see the changes. I think we're really moving to um, being more a part of the school context and yes. mm-hmm. really looking at uh, occupations throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think, um, you know, information is being passed on much more rapidly in the recent past with social media and with all these different mm-hmm. Facebook groups. And I mean, both good and bad come out of it. But um, right. definitely, I think um, people feel the need to move into a workload approach in order to service our students better. And, and people are acting upon it for sure. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I'm positive about changes happening very soon. Right. So um, I have another question. Now, I, I want you to talk to us about the, the, the latest reauthorization of IDEA, the Every Student Succeeds Act as a general education initiative and how it offers opportunities for us as OTs to address mental and physical health needs of students. Can you give us also some examples of how Every Moment Counts contributes to the intent of ESSA? Yeah, well, I think we can make a case for implementing Every Moment Counts initiatives in both laws. So IDEA is a special ed law, and the way that OT practitioners have been um, implementing Every Moment Counts under their IDEA hat is Mm -hmm. because the the law states we should be providing services in the least restrictive environment, so Mm -hmm. um, with their non-disabled peers. So um, and then the, the idea never says what areas of function we we should address. So we need to answer that question by saying we're going to address the areas of function that are reflected in our scope of practice, which is defined in the OTPF. So ESSA, on the other hand, <laughs> pardon? I love what you just said, that we need to reflect on right. those the, the term function and what our scope allows us to do in terms of function and present that to our teams because otherwise what what people expect from us is based on their experience from the past. And, and right. we just end up fulfilling those expectations and not really right. doing justice to our scope as OTs and supporting the most important areas of need for our students. Right. I mean, I think all too often, because OTs are supervised by non-OTs in many instances, directors of special ed services or student personnel, whatever it's called, it's different in every school, mm-hmm. they're often not OTs. And sometimes I hear a therapist saying, this is where what I'm told to address so we have to really be strong in those situations and say, well, this is a part of our scope of practice. And in the law, it says function. <laughs> so I think, mm-hmm. I think having a copy of the law in our pockets yeah. um, is really important or you know, how we're defined um, so that we can push back a little bit on that. Now, what ESSA does, so ESSA is 
a gen ed law that is a reauthorization of No Child Left Behind. Mm -hmm. And what excited me when I started learning more about this law is that um, there is heavy emphasis on promoting health, physical and mental, and a lot of focus on tier one and tier two services. And, you know, it was just like for me, well, this is what every moment counts is. It's, it's a lot on mental health promotion and prevention at tier one and tier two. So there's mm -hmm. match there. Um, but mm -hmm. the, the challenge, as you know, from our network that we started and that you have been a part of is yes. uh, states are, are planning how to implement ESSA. It's only mm -hmm. since 2015, but we have not really been at the table in that planning. So we're still at the point where a lot of people don't recognize us as having knowledge about health promotion and prevention because they mm -hmm. see us as needing to focus on education under IDEA. Mm -hmm. So I think you know, there's a challenge there, although there are a lot of OTs that are beginning to do tier one and tier two kinds of um, intervention that focuses on health, like therapists who are developing calming corners or um, things like that, helping kids regulate in the classroom, doing the mm -hmm. zones of regulation even. It's very much related to mental health, you know, being able to recognize their, how they're feeling and then making adjustments. So I think we're moving in that direction, but with ESSA, we, we really have to figure out how we can be a part of district and state planning mm -hmm. and then obtain the time, the time mm -hmm. to do tier one and tier two. Right. So things boil down eventually when it comes to administrative standpoint to money big time, right? How are they right. going to fund us, fund OTs supporting areas outside the mandated IDEA? And then ESSA is mm -hmm. this promising beam of light mm -hmm. that's opening up the doors for us that we can, under ESSA, support, gen support our special ed students and all students right. under the general mm -hmm. ed umbrella. So right. they just need to find out ways to make this law into a reality in schools. And, and Right. So I think we need to just start because every state is different. We need to start asking the question, you know, how is our district providing ESSA, addressing mm -hmm. what ESSA is supposed to be providing? Where is that money going? Mm -hmm. And like the example from our network meeting, Marta Kilrain yes. in OT in New Hampshire mm -hmm. applied for Title IV funding to support the mental health literacy program that they're implementing. That's a perfect example of ESSA funds. That is the, the challenge mm -hmm. I'm seeing is when OTs are going to their states or districts, people are not aware of what ESSA is and all the, the, the plan. So I think there are a lot of questions, but at least we have a higher awareness now 
And yes. I'm excited to hearing, hear therapists talking about trying to find out what's going on in their yeah, state. Absolutely. And knowledge is power. And we need to have this knowledge right. and ask these questions. So our administrators can come up with answers, right? To say that right. mm, that is a possibility. And maybe you guys can do this through, right. Right. you know, a different uh, hat, wearing a different hat. So, yeah. Right. So, Dr. Basic, I know so many therapists have implemented the Comfortable Cafeteria Program and all these different mm-hmm. um, initiatives over time. And how did they navigate the barriers that are often cited mm-hmm. for integrated service delivery, like high case loads, relationships, mm-hmm. attitudes within their school communities? How have they navigated through those barriers? Can you give me some examples and real life yeah. stories? Mm-hmm. Well, I do think it starts again by conversations and talking about it, maybe talking about it with your principal. Um, or if the print, you know, we, you know, always say, look for the open doors. If a principal is, or a system principal is saying, I'm having real struggles in the cafeteria, mm-hmm. then boom, that's the open door to say, this is how I can help. Um, mm-hmm. The way OTs make the case for the time in the cafeteria, many OTs that I know that have implemented the program make the case by saying, I have students on my caseload who are at lunch during this time, and I'm going to tune into their social participation or make it somehow related to their IEP goals. Mm-hmm. Um, if OTs are, are hired by the school itself, the district, I find them to have a lot more leeway and it's easier for them to just say, this is a universal program that I'd like to implement. It's going to help all students. Mm-hmm. It's going to help, um, you know, help you as the principal or administrator. It will very much likely decrease office referrals during this time. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's just so individual um, but I do think we can make our case under IDEA. I think mm-hmm. eventually we can make our case to implement the program under ESSA, but I don't think we're there yet. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that I find is effective if you're trying to start something new is schedule a short meeting. We have information briefs on these programs and then just say, I would like to do this as a pilot. Let's see how it goes. And um, if it's effective, then we can implement again. Or um, therapists, maybe in large schools, say, well, the cafeteria with 200 children is too big, but maybe I'll implement it in, in a lunch bunch group or with one classroom. Mm-hmm. So there's, there are many ways to implement these programs and I guess it just takes therapists who are committed, who see the value and need, and um, they have to be kind of mavericks about yeah. doing it. Yeah, and we, we take pride in being that as OTs, so yeah. problem solvers, and that's kind of the nature of our job. So I think knowing that a program like this exists um, and then hearing that many people have done this and getting mm-hmm. our wheels turning is the first mm-hmm. step to executing it. 
I do find that these two times of the day are times that counselors tend not to be putting time into these areas. They're, they're, they're kind of oftentimes spending a lot of their time at tier three with students with identified mental health challenges. So I find that these times of the day are kind of these prime open times where because it's, you know, it's part of our scope of practice, meal times and play, I feel we could really make our mark during these times and, you know, then be called in for sustainability. One OT I know, she implemented the program several times and then the principal had her help interview the cafeteria and recess supervisors the next year and orient them. That's where we become a part of the culture of a school and people see us as having expertise. And that's really, I think, where we want to lead for sustainable change. That is wonderful. That is, um, I mean, I, I just... Uh... I would love for our profession to be moving in that direction mm -hmm. ASAP. <laughs> I right. think the time is quite ripe right now. Right. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Basic. This was so amazing, as always. So mm -hmm. if you were to leave our listeners with your final words of wisdom, what would that be? Wow, that's, that's a big question. But <laughs> You gave us a lot of wisdom I already. I takeaway would be nice. <laughs> right. To be, um, I would say that we really need to be true to ourselves as who we are as occupational therapists and just keep going back to our foundation that we focus on helping children and youth participate in occupations that promote health, physical and mental. So, um, you know, really um, staying true to that, who we are. And occupational justice, too, I think is a part of our work and what we need to really tune into. Do all children and youth with disabilities and or mental health challenges have opportunities to participate in a range of occupations that promote health or that they're interested in? Um, youth with disabilities may not have those same opportunities and we can help kind of fight that fight or ensure that there's occupational justice. So I guess that would be two thoughts of mine. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. It's a, a, an honor to be on this podcast and to share these ideas. So I'm, I'm very happy that we were able to do this. <laughs>